Chapter Seven of the Forgery by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. A fine but yet a solemn evening trod upon the steps of a May day. There was a red light in the west under deep purple clouds. Overhead all was blue, intense, and unbroken even by a feathery vapour. A star, a planet, faint from the sun's rays still unrecalled, was seen struggling to shine, and a lingering chillness came upon the breeze as it swept over a wide heath. The road from London to Southampton might be traced from the top of one of the abrupt knolls into thousands of which the heath was broken, winding on for four or five miles on either side, and dim plantations bounded the prospect. Between, nothing caught the eye but the desert-looking, wavy expanse of uncultivated ground, except where, in a little sandy dell through which poured a small white line of water, appeared a low thatch and four ruinous walls. At first one thought it a cow-shed or a pigsty, but a filmy wave of smoke showed it to be a human habitation. The nest of the wild bird, the hole of the fox, the lair of the deer, is more warm and sheltered and secure than it was. A carriage came in sight from the side of Southampton, dashing along with four horses. At first it looked in the distance like a husk of hemp-seed drawn by four fleas. But as it came rattling on, it turned out a handsome vehicle and a good team. The top was loaded with boxes, imperials, and all sorts of leathern contrivances for holding superfluities, towering to the skies. Underneath was a long, square, flat basket of wicker, likewise loaded heavily. The carriage dashed on over one slope, down another, across a sharp channel left by a stream of water which had flowed down two or three days before after heavy rains, up part of a hill, and there it suddenly stopped, toppled, and went over. The axle had broken, and a hind wheel had come off. The servant flew out of his leathern cage behind, lighted in a huge tuft of heath somewhat like his own whiskers, and then got up and rubbed his shoulder. Then a gay, joyous, mellow voice was heard calling out from the inside. "'Spilt upon my life! What a crash! Are you hurt, Mr. Winkworth? Venus and all the graces smashed to pieces for a thousand pounds! <laughs> well, this is a consummation. Here, boy, open the door and let us out. I always lie on my right side. I think, Winkworth, you'll be glad to get rid of me.' uncommonly said a voice from below i thought you light-headed and light-hearted but something about you boy is heavy enough by this time the post-boys were out of their saddles and the servant was hobbling up the door was opened and forth came a tall good-looking young man dressed in gay travelling costume who instantly turned round to assist somebody else out of the broken vehicle the next person who appeared upon the stage was a man of sixty or more, spare, wrinkled, yellow, with very white hair and a face close-shaved. If he were ugly, it was from age, and perhaps bad health, the colour of his skin being certainly somewhat sickly. But his features were good, and his eye was clear and even merry, though a few testy lines appeared round the lips. He stooped a good deal, which made him look short, though he had once been tall, and in no other respect did bodily strength seem decayed, 
for he was as active as a bird no sooner was his younger companion out of the chaise than he was seen issuing forth all legs and arms together in the most extraordinary manner possible and the whole process was accomplished in a moment pish cried the elderly man peevishly pretty reception to one's native land after seven-and-twenty years absence it has had time to forget you said the younger laughing to break down on the first road i come to went on the other it is all because you overloaded the carriage so i would have done better to have travelled by the stage or any other conveyance instead of taking a seat in your mud-loving vehicle the stage might have been overloaded and broken too rejoined the other take all the rubs of life quietly mr winkworth something must be done however one of you fellows ride on and get the first blacksmith you can find send a chaise too to meet us we'll walk on you jerry stay with the carriage and when it is mended bring it on you're not hurt are you my shoulders sir has suffered from too close an intimacy with mother earth replied the servant in an affected tone and my leg i take it is of a different figure from the ordinary run but i dare say all will come straight with time puppy grumbled the old gentleman and began walking on as fast as his legs would carry him he was soon overtaken by his young companion and as they walked on together the postboy overtook and passed them they said little but mr winkworth looked about him and seemed to enjoy the prospect notwithstanding the accident which had forced it upon his contemplation the postboy trotted on and the two gentlemen walked forward night was falling fast and just when the messenger sent for the chaise had disappeared on one side and the carriage with its accompaniments on the other a bifurcation of the road without a finger-post presented itself now mr charles lovell marston what is to be done said the old gentleman you and i are two fools my dear sir or we should have mounted the two posters and let the postboys get themselves out of the scrape they had got themselves into it's just as bad to gallop along a wrong road as to walk a long one replied his young companion with a laugh only one goes farther and faster to the devil the old gentleman laughed heartily there is something on there that looks like fellow humanity he said it may be a stunted tree or a milestone but we may as well ask it the way and putting on his spectacles he walked forward with his head raised to see the better charles marston followed and for a minute or two both were inclined to think the form they saw would turn out a mere stump after all so motionless did it appear on a nearer approach however a human figure became more distinct it was that of a woman old and evidently very poor sitting motionless on the top of a little hillock her hands supporting her chin and her eyes bent upon the ground the short-cut grey hair escaped from under the torn cap her face was broad especially about the forehead the eyes were large and black the skin naturally brown was now yellow and wrinkled and the hand which supported the head while the other lay languidly on the lap was covered with a soiled and tattered kid glove round her shoulders was an old dirty shawl mended and patched and the rest of her garmenture was in as dilapidated a state she took not the least notice of the two travellers though they stood and gazed at her for a full minute ere they spoke at length mr winkworth raised his voice and asked can you tell us which is the london road my good woman 
the poor creature lifted her eyes and looked at them with a scared wandering expression they shaved his head she said in the most melancholy tone in the world indeed they did they thought he was mad but it was only remorse remorse he never held up his head after he was quite sure the boy was dead he whom he had wronged and blighted and killed she paused and began to weep she's mad poor thing said mr winkworth she should not be left on this common alone he saved his own life at the boy's expense said the woman again but what a heart he had ever after wine would not quiet it spirits would not keep it up but when he found the boy was dead then was the time of suffering and they thought he was mad when he raved about it but remorse will rave as well as madness and they shaved his head and put a straight waistcoat on him and one of the keepers knocked him down when he struggled and he died in the night you know it was no fault of mine she added looking straight at the old man as if he had accused her i could not leave him in his misery because he was sinful he was my own brother you know no no i could not do that of whom are you speaking my good woman asked the younger gentleman in a commonplace tone why my brother to be sure said the poor woman looking at him with an expression of bewildered surprise whom else should i be talking of ay ay he was a rich man once till he took to gambling say here is some one coming said the old gentleman this is a sad sight charles marston the poor woman has seen better days this is a bit of a real cashmere shawl she has over her shoulders i should know one when i see it i think we cannot leave her here alone we'll ask this boy who comes trudging along if he has ever seen her before or knows anything about her come bessie come in i have got one and ninepence for the eggs so i bought a loaf and an ounce of tea don't sit moping there it's cold bessie his tone was very kind and affectionate and the two gentlemen examined him as well as they could by the failing light he was a lad of fourteen or fifteen years of age short but seemingly strong and well made and his countenance as far as they could see was frank and intelligent his clothing was both scanty and poor but it was well patched and mended and he had a pair of stout shoes on his feet i'm coming jim i'm coming my dear replied the old woman in quite a different tone from that in which she had been speaking to the strangers i just went out to get a little fresh air and i found another nest and put all the eggs on the shelf my man the two gentlemen called the boy to them and in a low tone asked several questions about the poor creature whom he called bessie especially the younger one who seemed a good deal interested the elder inquired whether she was his mother or any relation the boy replied that she was not and his little history was soon told she had come about their cottage he said three or four years before and had slept one night upon the heath his mother who was then living had been kind to her and had taken her in we had two cows then said the boy and used to feed them on the common and it was a good year and poor bessie used to do what she could to help she's a famous hand with her needle and mended all the clothes my mother had a little washing and we got on well enough what between the butter and the washing and a few vegetables out of the garden 
but a year ago last christmas mother died and i and bessie have lived here alone as well as we can she's not at all dangerous and at times quite right and she helps me to find plover's eggs and to watch wee tears and all that she can she mends the clothes and does many little things and she has taught me to read and write in her well times when she's at the worst she can always read the bible of a night i'm sure i don't know what i should have done without her since mother died was she better dressed when she first came to your cottage asked charles marston oh to be sure replied the boy but our clothes are worn out now poor thing well we'll come and rest at your cottage said mr winkworth our carriage has broken down on the common and we've sent for a chaise the boy seemed to hesitate for a moment and then said it is a poor place the gentleman however persisted and again rousing the poor old woman who had once more fallen into a fit of gloomy thought the lad led them to the hut of which mention has been made in the beginning of this chapter it was a poor place as he had said as poor as it could be the unmended windows in spite of rags and paper let in the winds of night the door leaned back upon its heels like a drunken man trying to stand soberly the thatch was worn through in many places and it was a happy time when it did not rain in short it had been originally but a hovel of clay of the poorest kind now it was still poorer and when the boy and old woman together for she helped him had lighted a fire with some bundles of dry heath and the flame rose high and flickered round the broken walls the two men accustomed to luxury and ease and comfort of every kind felt a shuddering impression of the evils to which their fellow-creatures are often subject which was likely to do both their hearts no harm the boy was communicative enough and told all that he knew with quiet intelligence but they could get the old woman to speak no more she answered every question with a monosyllable and then fell into silence again they did not leave the hovel as destitute as they found it they had with them neither provisions nor furniture nor suitable clothing to give but they had the most malleable of metals which when properly hammered out spreads into meat drink and clothing nor were they satisfied with this when they reached the little town the old gentleman with the yellow face sent for a bricklayer gave him some orders in a low tone and wrote down an address upon a piece of paper the younger one talked for half an hour with the landlady in the bar and next morning paid her four pounds nine shillings more than his own bill that was a happy day for the poor people of the cottage on which charles marston and his old companion broke down upon the heath End of chapter seven